Talia Karner, welcome to Alternate Histories. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I am very glad to have you. Uh, you are the author of the new novel, The Third Daughter. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a novelist? Yeah, I'm a novelist. This is my second career. I had my first career in advertising, marketing, and magazine publishing. It was one career, even though it sounds like it's three different ones. They were all integrated into one another. And I became a volunteer counselor for the Small Business Administration Women's Programs when in 1993 I was asked to travel to Russia to teach women entrepreneurial skills. And I went twice. The second time, October 93, I was caught in the uprising of the Russian parliament against then President Boris Yeltsin. I ended oh, wow. up run from the militia. And upon my return, the, the American embassy, after it reopened, whisked me out of the country on the first flight. And uh, my report to the US information agency that had sent me became the beginning of my fiction writing career because it was such an experience that I thought only a fictional story can capture it. That never got published, but eventually 20 years later, I used that material to write the novel called Hotel Moscow, which came out by also my publisher HarperCollins in 2015. And it deals that novel deals with the transition, the painful transition of uh, the Russian people uh, from communism to market economy. But at that time, back in on November 3rd, 1993, where after my, uh, three weeks after my return, I sat down at 2.48 p.m. and began to type. And since then, I knew I found a new calling and became a fiction writer. The Third Daughter, that just came out on uh, beginning of September, uh, is my fifth novel to be published. I found by now a few common denominators. One is that all my novels deals, deal with social issues, very often women's issues, but not entirely. They're definitely human rights issues. And the other one is that it's the natural form for me is to write a novel with multi-layers of uh, the psychological, the, the forces that control our lives. We psychological, religious, political, geographical, social, economics, of course, so that all of those powers work in sync with one another and affect the journey that the protagonist takes along the road in dealing with whatever are the challenges of that particular novel. I'm not that good in, uh, in writing poetry. The brevity doesn't speak to me as much as 100,000 words. So that's a background. My accent is Israeli. I've lived in the United States all my adult life, but accent stays so I, uh, I'm definitely 
very Israeli, very Jewish in terms of my identity, not religious, but cultural and connected to the history of my people. Okay, well, um, and that comes out in this particular novel because you do touch on the theme of anti-Semitism in Eastern Europe. Um, if you could give us um, just a short uh, synopsis of this novel and the, um, as you said, the social issues that it brings to light. The third daughter is set mostly, it's, it is in the late 1800s, mostly set in Buenos Aires. The story begins, however, in Russia during a time of the pogroms and many of your listeners may not be aware of the fact that the 400 years of the Tsar's rule of Russia, pogroms against the Jews were brutal, murderous, and constant, and were state-instigated. We know Fiddler on the Roof when Tevya and his family leave the stage during pogrom, of course, can never be shown on stage the true horror. But that miserable life of persecution, poverty, edicts meant to prohibit the Jews from owning property and professions and living in particular places created human misery that made them very vulnerable to the promises of traffickers who would come and offer jobs and uh, marriages and to take these young women to the new world. And that is where this story, this story is about. Batya is the protagonist, is the daughter of one such family. They meet this sleazy character whom they believe is a successful businessman as he introduces himself, is well-dressed and uh, seems to be generous. And off she goes with him to be married, but she finds herself instead being forced into prostitution in Buenos Aires. And the story then continues of how she deals with it, so I don't want to tell it but she eventually she becomes strong and she becomes a tango dancer and she has a chance and tries to bring down the traffickers ring so how did you discover this topic of prostitution and trafficking between russia and south america and what what research did you have to do to um ground this fictional story in, in history. I just mentioned the Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof, the character of Tevye, was written by Sholom Alechem, who was a Yiddish storyteller who had written hundreds of, of stories in a collection called the railroad stories where supposedly the author is on the train in Russia and meets different characters and they all have monologues telling him about their lives. Tevya, that character comes back and forth, comes on and he says, oh, Mr. Author, let me tell you what happened to my next daughter. And 
having I'd known that Tevye had four daughters, seven daughters, and one day I was wondering, since Thriller on the Roof only fictionalized and used three of them, what happened to the other four? So I got this collection, and in that same collection, I found a short story called The Men from Buenos Aires. And that is the kind of sleazy character that brags about his riches and his success, but never reveals, in spite of the author trying to press him into revealing what kind of business are you in. And he doesn't. And I, you have that terrible, creepy feeling, and I knew that it was not something legitimate. I also knew something that had to do with prostitution in South America. So I immediately put down the short story and went to modern day Google. You know, the short story had been published in 1909 and we have now the advantage of having Google. And I Googled it. And immediately, within minutes, I had in front of me, I was printing dozens of articles. I learned that the name of the trafficker's ring was Zvi Migdal, Z-W-I-M-I-G-D-A-L. I didn't, hadn't known that before. And immediately, I found tremendous amount of information, nonfiction, about it. There had been books, there have been, eventually, I, uh, when I did my research, I did uh, read some PhD dissertations, there have been conferences. There was a lot of material in English alone. There's a lot more in Spanish, which I don't speak, so I couldn't use that. But in that regard, once I got the picture, I read more about it, but my imagination took over. So. That, so I didn't need to know, all I needed to know, for example, that the girls were during the ocean crossing that at that time took three to four weeks from Odessa or Constantinople, which is today's, uh, what's the matter with me? Istanbul. Istanbul. Uh, today's Istanbul. That crossing then took at least maybe four weeks. And during that time, the girls were beaten, tortured, caged, starved, and forced right on the ship to be, uh, they were raped by, gang raped by the, by the sailors and whoever the, the trafficker could find, and turns out it wasn't difficult. So. All I had to know was that, and once I had my protagonist in a situation like this, I, I knew my imagination ran loose. Of course, I had to taper it, tame it, because the reader can just take so much of that kind of torture. We need only to know why they, those girls were broken once they arrived in the ports of Buenos Aires or Rio de Janeiro or Montevideo. So that was the most of my 
research. But then I had, as she became a tango dancer, I realized that I had to take tango lessons, which I did for a year, <laughs> in order to be able to write about that experience from with the knowledge. First-hand research. Yes, absolutely. It was interesting. That definitely. That's a. I would say the pleasant part of research. I also had, um, as far as the health part of what happens to a 14-year-old who finds herself in a situation like this, I had tremendous amount of uh, help from doctors and in Boston Women's Hospital in Boston has a division, a whole department on trafficking, and they were very helpful. They were they very supportive of the fact that I was writing. So we figured all of that out in terms of what I could write about and what was happening to her. And again, taming it down, but it, I needed to create a situation that was uh, realistic. And uh, that is how the story came to be. And I must say that of all my books, that research was the easiest to gather because the information, the nonfiction information is there. Well, and as you said, with your research going to Boston, this is a historical fiction, but this this topic is not an old topic. It's, you know, sadly still going on today and, and resonates with current events. Absolutely. And unfortunately, traffickers today use the same methods as they did 120 years ago at the time of the the novel, The Third Daughter. So the luring of America and the promises of jobs in the new world, and as long as there is misery and strife around the globe, the supply of people trying to escape and to find better opportunities in life is in, unfortunately inexhaustible. And that is why we have supply. We have, of course, always the suppliers who will try to meet the demand. So in today's environment, what we need to deal with is the demand side. And in order to do that, the and I, and I must say it is a men-women situation, even though there are also boys in trance who are being forced into prostitution, but the vast majority are women and, the, of course, the men who are the ones who create the demand. And in order to lower the demand, we need to let them see the a the humanity of these women victims, just as I hope that the readers and listeners will get from reading The Third Daughter and will understand the humanity of the protagonist. And the other thing is to understand that these women today the prostitutes are victims. There is a third party who benefits. There is a third party who forces them. If they are, if they come from out of, if they are from out of the country, they've entered the U.S. Two thirds of prostitutes today in the U.S. have been born elsewhere. Then there are threats made against their families in the country of origin to force these women to keep silent and continue working here in the States, continue to be enslaved because their passports are being taken away and they don't know the language. 
and and they are they are not aware of the social services and law enforcement that are available to to them. The U.S. born is another story. It's one third of prostitutes today. And do you know what's the entry level to that? No, it's I do not. 12, Twelve to fourteen years old, oh which goodness. means that they are under control, our control still. They are in the schools. They are available to us to teach them, to protect them, to make them aware. And there is a population of vulnerable children, those who are in foster care system. Their foster care system is a direct pipeline into prostitution. We have to do a better job there. The sexual, se sexual abuse at home is a very much of a factor that we find is a dominant in the lives of American-born prostitutes. So that they had been so traumatized that being a prostitute is not the worst thing that could happen to them. And any so being socially isolated in the school, popularity is important, or other family crisis that may, may happen, make those youngsters vulnerable and in order to teach them what to look for and not to be to fall prey is a, an education and there are organizations and i must say i will encourage you know, the listeners to go to my website there is a page of activism what you can do in your own backyard and you can put in there are many many links in that article that will help deal with the social issue and in the schools, in the environment, in the neighborhood, so that we can help those youngsters before they fall prey or once they are already there. There are many barriers to exiting prostitution and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And we will carry um, links to those resources in the show description. Um, Thank you. The, the, the last question um, I'll ask you um, while you're here with us is um, tell us a little bit about your protagonist, Batya. Um, who is she? Batya, for those who know Fiddler on the Roof, which I guess is the vast majority of people in the U.S. because it's been such a popular show, movie, school shows, the family has uh, three daughters that had been married off, ma ma got married to men they fall in love with against the tradition of allowing the father to find them the match. And then during a pogrom, the family leaves with two more. And I could have named the book the sixth daughter or the fourth daughter, which meant, would have meant that I would have had to repeat many stories. So I renamed the characters and made her only the third where the actions of her two older sisters are her motivation to try to protect her parents from another heartache. In addition, as I mentioned, the, the pogrom, they are now on the road, they're escaping the village, they have no place to go, they are homeless in an open fields, in vast Russia, winter is coming when they meet this character of men from Buenos Aires. And against that, when he offers her marriage, 
and her parents become so excited about the prospects of being able to escape through her and that she knows she has to bring them this happiness. The only way to do that is to accept this proposal of marriage, which at 14, he, he says he's going to wait two more years to marry her, but what he doesn't, and I'm telling you something happens in page in chapter one, what he means is actually for her to come with him now. And the parents allow have to allow that eventually. Once she arrives in Buenos Aires, she first wants to commit suicide, but she forever is cognizant of the fact that her family relies on her. And eventually she comes to terms with what has happened to her and continues to try to save money to save them, to bring them out of Russia without ever being able to tell them the truth about her life. And she, through that process, she becomes stronger. And when she has more and more chances to improve her life, I mentioned the tango dancing, and she develops some warm relationships with some of her clients a relationship that give her a sense of security and, and self-worth to a degree, she uses that and she's forever optimistic. Also very important, she always keeps her Jewish faith. She never believes that, she always believes in God. She believes that he forgot about her. She doesn't understand why he has had punished her so but she doesn't, doesn't doubt his existence. And that is part of very much of who she is, trying to figure out, talk to him, pray to him, find ways that if he doesn't listen to her prayers when they are uttered in a brothel, maybe if she went to a synagogue, they, he would listen to her there. So that is always a part of who she is, and I think that is an important part of her survival and the strength that she gets. I don't want to give out the story, but I think you, you get a sense of her, of the character. Yes, I, I think um, you've created a, a wonderfully complex and, and three-dimensional person. Thank um. you. Um, well, Talia, th thank you for uh, sharing um, a little bit about this story with us. If uh, listeners want to pick up a copy of the book or learn more about you and your work, uh, where can they go? My website is my name, taliacarner.com, and I'll spell it T as in Thomas, A-L-I-A, C as in Charlie, A-R-N as in Nancy, E-R, taliacarner.com. And they can read the first chapter of the novel, read reviews, read my bio, first chapter of all of my previous novels, Q&A, in addition to listening to the, your interview. And of course, as I mentioned before, the page of activism, what can you do today to fight sex trafficking in your own backyard? And it takes a lot of people 
and a lot of voices and a lot of effort. There are many organizations, but we are all part of both the problem and the solution. All right. Well, Talia, thank you again for coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much. My pleasure.